we are on the series of Waihini, and last um, Sunday, Pastor Enns preached about, about uh, stay-home mums. But when I got the brief, what this series was all about, it said, you just choose one of the women in the Bible and, and, and you know, what, what they do or didn't do, or just do. <laughs> it's okay. And um, so, you know, there are 170 women mentioned in the Bible. Uh, not everybody is mentioned by name. Some are, are named by association, like somebody's wife. I could identify with it, and maybe you can do too. When I was young, um, I was somebody's sister, because I had seven brothers and sisters, so I was always a sister of my brother, or a sister of my older sister, younger sister, always a sister. Or I was a daughter of my parents, and my parents, we lived in a small town, and I was a daughter of Yana and Tina, that is my dad's name. Or if they didn't know their names, they would say, oh, she's one of the Dijkstra's, because that was my maiden name. So always being called by association. Till I left home uh, when I was 17, and, <clears throat> and then for the first time, really, people called me actually by my name, you know, properly. Pirkje Dijkstra, that is my name. Obviously, that changes quite quickly because then I became Yalta's girlfriend. And then I became, we were engaged, and then I became his wife. And, um, and in some circles, uh, Yalta is my wife um, because they, uh, in Christian circles, they talk about the pastors and wife. And then, uh, and then Yalta is my wife. Sometimes they get so confused with our names, then I'm Yalta and, and Yalta's PJ. Uh, I tell you this, we, we, sh we know who we are, okay? <laughs> we are. <laughs> so here we are today to um, uh, talk about women in the Bible. Um, I'm going to read you a passage from Luke 17, um, and uh, you will read it on the screen. I call this message, Move On not realizing that we have to move on soon. But anyway, move on. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will you people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is, do not run after them. For the Son of Man in his days will be like a lightning, with flashes and lights and skies and from one end to the other. Amazing will it be. But he must first suffer many things and be rejected by his generation. And just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and given, being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking and buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven 
and destroy them all. It will be just like this on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And on that day, no one who is on the housetop with possession inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one left in the field should go by, back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. And that is what we're going to talk about today. So this was quite a discussion that the disciples uh, had with Jesus, and, and obviously they wanted to know what was going on, and because Jesus was in their midst, and the kingdom of God was there, but it was not totally revealed. And it was just like the disciples were saying, are we there yet? Have you heard that? Are we there yet? And Jesus said, no, we are not there yet. It will come, and when it comes, you will know. Um, a lot of people predict this thing and that thing, and maybe you have read online, you know, there's always something going on, predictions. But I tell you, when it happens, we will all know. We will all know that the Son of Man or Jesus is coming again, and it will, uh, the whole world will know. So in the meantime, we just keep on living and preparing each day for the Lord to come back. But it might also mean we... It might not come for generations to come. And we, we can do both because we can trust Jesus or Father God because he only knows that when the right time is there, he will come. And that will be the right time for now. So you think, you know, like in the days of Noah and Sodom, it really looked like that we are in those days because we see wars and we had a, a pandemic, which is still in the end tail of it. Uh, we have earthquakes. We have wars. We have floods. We have political instability. The economy in our, in our land, but also in other lands all over the, over the world, it is very unstable. And you think, wow, it, it, it could, we could be there yet. Or we could be not. And in the midst of it, Jesus talks about Lot's wife. We don't know, even know her name. But we know she obviously was married to Lot. And um, Lot's wife, we hear the first time about Lot's wife. You just, you're just going to go a few steps back. The first time we hear about Lot's wife was in Genesis 13, when Abraham and Lot separated because there were too many animals, but they also had too many arguments between themselves. And so, you know, you can understand that, isn't it? And so it was better to, to separate. And it's not like they hadn't moved from one place to another place, because they have had, they've been like no man's really, because God called Abraham, as you heard from Pastor Enns, and he didn't know where he was going. But it came to a stage. His nephew was there, and Abraham was there, both had lots of stock and stuff, lots of arguments, and said, right, let's deal with this. Um, and Abraham gave um, Lot the first choice where he would go. And so um, Lot chose to go into the valley, uh, and it was very close to Sodom in those days. And the men of Sodom were already known that they were wicked. Um, but anyway. I always think, you know, Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. And I thought, you know, the, 
the women in the Bible must have had a bit of a hang on of faith. What about me? You know, I was the first. Why, why are you not mentioning me? Remember me, what I did when I ate the apple. What about Mary? She was his mother. And, you know, she had quite a conception by the Holy Spirit. I mean, that is quite, remember her. But it was none of those. It was Lot's wife that Jesus tells us to remember. Anyway, so he had, Lot had first choice, and they went close to Sodom. And we all know uh, what is Sodom known for, for lots of sexual immorality. Um, but if you uh, search a little bit further, then you find out in Ezekiel, uh, although it was dead, but it was a lot more. Because the people were arrogant. That's what Ezekiel 16, for those who want to look that up. They were arrogant, overfed, unconcerned, and didn't feed the poor or the needy. And obviously they did detestable acts. And so God removed them. So in Genesis 19, I mean, obviously God has seen this on for a while, and he decides, he's the boss, and he, you know, he wants to get, um, get rid of it. And so in, in Genesis 19, the Lord sends the angel of the Lord to come and rescue Lot and his wife and his two daughters. And literally, they were touched by an angel. I mean... Did you watch sometimes that program, Touched by an Angel? There was, there was a series. And, but they were actually literally touched by an angel and held by their hands and lead them out of this very dangerous situation because the destruction was coming on, the, on its way to Sodom. And, uh, and the Lord gives in verse 17, he gave some advice or he gives an order, or he gives a command, whatever you think it is. But he said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, so unless you will not be swept away. Wow. So in the midst of it, when our lives, or this life, it's all burning, it's all falling to custard, maybe you're in your life, uh, I mean, in the pandemic, we were, that was full on. Um, God wants us to remember Lot's wife. And I think, what was it about Lot's wife that Jesus talked about? I'm always very aware about the words that Jesus said. Um, because we are followers of Jesus, right? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. We've just been saying it. We're followers of Jesus. So it, we have to take note. When Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. And so the one thing in the scripture in Genesis 19 about Lot's wife, it says that Lot's wife was behind Lot and she looked back. She actually looked back. God commanded not to look back. Do not look back. Angel was there leading them to the, the future ahead. I don't know what went in around in her head. I mean, she had a life there. She probably had friends there. She had a house there. And I don't know. But anyway, it says in the Bible that she was actually turning and looking back. And in that moment, she was stuck. 
and she became a pillar of salt. We all know that story. Apparently, the, the pillar of salt is still to be found somewhere. I can't, um, I don't know, but I've been told. Anyway, so what was it about Lot's wife that we need to know? And it was like she prioritized her past over her future. That was more a priority to her than the future that was ahead. And she lost all sight, lost sight of the promises of God because God wanted her to lead them out. And it was just phenomenal by the hand of an angel leading them out to all the promises in the future, for all his provision, for every purpose that God had for him, he wanted them to lead them out of that situation. But she didn't. And she looked back. She was being pulled back by what she was leaving. You know, there was a strong pull for her to look back, maybe even going back. And that was stronger than pressing in what God has for her, for the future. You know, we, we are called the salt of the earth, isn't it? I think, you know, we are. In who we are as people, what we say, what we do with our lifestyle. And so that we are not too salty, but not over salty. We got, eh, it's a bit much, but... Salty, so then people get thirsty for the things of God. But sometimes we need to remember that sometimes we can get stuck too. That is not unusual for us to get stuck. So, with Lot, Lot's wife, her attachment to the past, yeah, she was so attached to the past, outweigh her commitment to the future. I say that again. Our attachment to the past outweigh her commitment to the future. And sometimes we get so attached to the past. Past relationships. Uh, as a counselor, I deal with many people who have strong attachments to boyfriends, girlfriends, from a long time ago, and they're still emotionally attached to them, and they're feeling stuck. But the purpose of God is for now, and the purpose of God is ahead. It's for your life and for the life of our church. I had no idea that, I, that we were moving out in 20 days, and, and my heading is moving on. Move on. <laughs> so, anyway. But as you look back, we all can look back, and we are allowed to look back, to reminisce, you know, what God has done, and bring up beautiful memories. But God doesn't want us to get stuck in disappointment, get stuck of, of mistakes, regrets, disillusionment, anger, unforgiveness, and so on and so on. Because if we keep dwelling on that, on the unforgiveness, on the hurt, on the pain, and the, the mistakes, and all of that, we're going to get stuck. 
And I'm not diminishing for people going through stuff because we all go through stuff. And we all have to work through our past sometimes to become free and so to fully grasp hold of what God has for us. But God is there. God is more than willing to help us with all these things that could keep us stuck of disappointment, of losses, of fear, bitterness, whatever it is. God is more than it. We need to face it and face it with God. And maybe you need some help to face it, uh, to get through it. Because God's presence is with us, even though when we are, are going through stuff, it's not like God has, has left us. God hasn't gone anywhere. He is still the same. He is still the God who loves you. He is still the God who cares for you. He is the God um, who is steadfast. I love this verse, and it says in Hebrews 13 to 18, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even though circumstances fail you, or people fail you, or whatever has failed you, or people have forsaken you, or have abandoned you, or didn't want to be with you, or whatever it is, God never leaves or forsakes you. He is always there. That is so good. I became a Christian in the 80s. And so I was um, discipled with some seniors. I'm now senior myself, but I was discipled with some really beautiful senior people. And, um, and so they taught me uh, from the beginning, uh, PJ, take hold of this. And some of you might know the song. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, I have decided to follow Jesus. And we need to be able to keep saying that to ourselves. Anybody who knows that song? Yeah, it's just old as, isn't it? But it's so true. And it is easy, you know, at times to lose our hope in the midst of it. You know, I'll tell you a story of two disciples who were very full on with Jesus. And Jesus got crucified. They saw him while he was put in the tomb. And they were so disappointed. They were so disillusioned. They were heartbroken. They were overwhelmed with sorrow because all what they thought, what, what they thought should happen or could happen or must happen did not happen at all. Jesus died and he was in the tomb. And they were just so sad and so overwhelmed. And the best thing for them to do is just to walk home, yeah, walk back. And so they went back to Emmaus. And they walked back. And while they were walking, somebody joined them. They had no idea that actually it was Jesus walking with them. Because Jesus in the meantime, Jesus had risen from the dead. And as they were walking, they didn't even realize he was there till he made himself known. 
And that shows us that even if we're going through a difficult time, it's not like Jesus leaves you. Jesus is always with you. That is his promise. And I love that because I'm sure you have moments like these. Not like Minty and I need a Minty. No, I need Jesus. You have moments like that. And you think, what would Jesus think? What would Jesus, what are you? And you hardly want to talk to Jesus because you're so overwhelmed or you're so disappointed or you're so overwhelmed and you think, Lord, I have no words. But Jesus knows. He sees you. He sees exactly what is going on. And sometimes, you know, I'm disappointed. And to be honest, sometimes I'm so disappointed with God that he hasn't come through the way I thought he should. And then I'm just... And it's actually good to voice your disappointments to God. I think he can handle it because he already knows that you're disappointed. He already knows that you're worried. He already knows that you're anxious about this and the other thing. But actually to voice it to him lifts. It lifts from you. Anyway, they didn't recognize them. So maybe you had some disappointments in your life. Or maybe something hasn't come through the way you, you thought it should be or wanted to be. And, you know, then we can lose our footings a wee bit. But I know, I know this about God, that he is faithful, that he is steadfast. I know he's got the power. I know he's a shepherd. I know he can provide. I know, I know that is our God, that it is your God. But if we keep drinking of those wells... Yeah, of bitterness and unforgiveness and whatever, all these, if we keep drinking from that and keep going back to that, then our hope starts to d- diminish in everyday life. In Hebrews 6 verse 9 says, uh, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. It is firm and secure. And you know, we know that the economy doesn't look too good you know, we know that, you know, the banks are raising their interest rates. We know there is lots of heartache and loss in our land with all the floods. We know that the government uh, should do this and that. But, you know, our hope was never meant to be in those things. Our hope always, for us as believers, our hope needs to be in Jesus because he is the anchor to our soul. And so the world tries to entice us to put our hope in the government or in the political system or a climate change because that's really going to do it. I tell you, that is not going to do it. And we never meant to put our hope and trust in those things, but alone in Jesus. Without wavering. It says, do not throw away your confidence in Hebrews 10. You will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. You know, there has been a lot of wavering and a lot of going, even in the church uh, all over the world. If you, There's been a lot of wavering and instability and things like that. But, um, you know, the anchor has got a chain. And we, we can have the anchor... But the anchor has got a chain to us. So we need to keep connecting to God. Maybe some of our anchors are a bit rusty or a bit loose. 
And so we need to strengthen our chain to the anchor because we don't want to lose our anchor in God. We need to stay connected to Jesus, especially in uncertain and unstable times. If you think it's unstable now, I think, you know, uh, it, it will become more. And not because I want to put fear in you. No, because in this life you will have trouble. That's what Jesus said. So we shouldn't be surprised. But anchor yourself. Because when we lose hope, we start to drift. And when we drift, we're drifting away. Uh, there was a time we lived in Tairua for nearly 14 years. Beautiful town by the beach. Beautiful. Our, our children and grandchildren always came for holidays. And it was just uh, lovely. And then we would go to the beach and we'd go swimming. Well, not really swimming because in the sea, it's not many of us do actually swim. It's more just hopping and springing in the, in the waves. And we were always glad if the life, the surf lifesavers were there with the flags because you knew that part would be safe. But they were not always there. So, and then we would go. We made sure we had more adults than children. We have all these little bit puppets of ours. And we created a chain. So holding hands, not letting them go by their own, not going too far. And so we had this chain and we were just, just hopping over the waves just to keep them safe. And, you know, sometimes they came loose because, you know, they went a little bit further and we pulled them back because we didn't want to drift them in the strong current or the undertone. I once did a baptism in Dunedin. It was in the winter. Somebody decided on a the, the church morning that he wanted to get baptized. And uh, our senior pastor said, yeah, it's not a problem. Yeah, we can baptize you this afternoon. Um, I want to get baptized in the sea at St. Clair's Beach. Okay, yeah, not a problem. Um, so we got our wetsuits on because it was so cold. Uh, it was winter. And um, he said he wanted to go far in. I thought, you know, just two steps into the sea. Dip him in. No, no, no. He had this vision of himself going far in, nearly like that far, and then we would baptize him. So here we go. It was high tide. We go in, Pastor uh, Mike Griffiths and myself, and with this person going further and further and further, and finally said, yeah, that is it. We nearly like that. <laughs> and so then he felt that he was nearly baptizing himself. You know, anyway, and it was all happening, and in the midst of it, you know how it goes with baptism, and you, and you come loose, uh, I nearly lost my, well, I didn't lose my footings in the sea, and I said, oh, man, I was just, oh, a moment I thought, I'm just, just, I'm going to drown, because it was just so strong. Thank God, Pastor Mike Griffiths pulled me in, and PJ, we nearly lost you. That would have been the news of the Otago Daily, wouldn't it? <laughs> Pastor drowns Bob <laughs> <while> baptism. <Christ. laughs> uh, no, we, we laugh about it now, but in a moment I thought, oh, God, help me. <laughs> no. But sometimes we are are stuck or we are drifting away of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. 
you know, um, and sometimes it's at pace for us as believers to do God's way. You know, even with our building and people say this thing and that thing, but, you know, we believing that God will actually show us where to move to. He, he will direct us. Now we have sold. We've got money in the bank soon. Uh, no loans anymore. And then I'm sure God will show us. We need to trust him, isn't it? But we do need to move on. We know we need to move on. And we, we are followers of Jesus. That's what we are called. We are followers of Jesus. And I don't really care how many followers you have on Instagram or on Facebook or whatnot, how many followers that you have. You and me, we are followers of Jesus. And he leads us. He shows us. Is it always easy? No. That reminds me of, of Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. The other me being to Israel. And for me, that was the most significant time seeing the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's where Jesus battled. Was he actually doing or was he willing to do the will of the Father? And it says that he was overcome with sorrow. He was just, he was torn. But, you know, because he didn't choose the Father chosen for him, but the Father also wanted him to be willing to do the Father's will. And so in that moment, he was, he was heartbroken, really hard to decide. And he, in the end, he decided that he wanted to do the Father's will. You know, sometimes we lose sight of hope because there are so many other things that seems to get priority. But God remains the same. He's got all the power. He is able. He is able to get you through. He is able to provide for you. He is able to bring grace to you when you need it. God is good. So, in this time, or maybe at any time, we need to take stock where we are at. Do I still have attachments to the past? Memories are great, but is there still... Is there still things that I need to face and to work through with God? If we look at the, the life of Lot's wife, and, and if Jesus says we need to remember her not to look back, because that's what she did, because she was more committed to the past than to her future. So, it's hard to build a future when we are stuck or when you want to keep going back to the past. If the past is more on your mind than the future, ask God to help you. You know, because all the promises, all his purposes, all his provisions, everything is there and he leads us. He's like a shepherd. I'll leave you with this first. Brothers and sisters, it says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. And none of us have. None of us got it all together. I haven't. You only have to ask Yalta. Feel free, ask him. I haven't got it all together at all. But you know, I'm on this journey with Jesus. And I believe in him. And I trust him. 
I'm one of his followers. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize, which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Pressing on. Move on. I mean, as a church, we have to move, physically move. And you know, some of some people say, oh, we didn't achieve everything what we want to achieve here and whatever. What we need to take hold of, of all the people that God touched in all those years we've been here, for the worship we've led, for the messages that we heard, for God's healing and for all those who got saved here, for all those who got married and baby, baby dedication. It was all beautiful. But it's not in a building because we take all that with us wherever we go. Church is not a building. Church is you and me. Just here. This is church. So, it's hard to build a future when we are stuck in the past.